do questions afterwards, but I believe tonight's lesson is what you need for your soul. Somebody say, it's what I need. It's what you need for your soul. One thing I've learned about the Word of God and about just how God does things, sometimes uh, we learn things and, and maybe it wasn't the right time. And because it wasn't the right time, it didn't have the same effect on us. But tonight, I believe what I'm teaching you is the right time and is what God wants to speak to your heart because it will help you. We're, we're, we're in a place in time where it, it's very challenging to really walk the way God wants us to walk, to really talk the way God wants us to talk, to really live like God wants us to live. And sometimes we, we, we have allowed some things in our life to become the norm. And they never used to be the norm, but now there's things that we're allowing to become the norm in our life. When years ago, we would not have allowed them to be the norm. And we may have said, oh, well, it's just the time that we're living in. We may, we may say, well, you know, times are just different and things are just different. And so we say that to ourselves to be able to say, you know what, I can continue to be this way. I can continue to live this way. But truth be told, God has got a plan for you and we cannot just settle for surface relationship with God. We can't just settle for just being, uh, just, just, just making it and going through the motions. God is looking for us to go deeper in him. And so tonight we're going to talk about something that is essential to Christian life. We're going to talk about something that's essential to Christian life tonight. And that talk that we're going to have tonight in this Bible study is the tabernacle, the tab. Somebody said the tabernacle. I've talked about the tabernacle before. I've taught a little bit about it. I've prayed about the tab through the tabernacle. But tonight we're going to go a little bit deeper because this is what you need to help your soul. Wherever you are, this is what you need for your soul. Hebrews chapter 9 is where we're going to go tonight. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 2. It will kind of give us... Um, just a just a brief description of the tabernacle. I'll talk about it a little bit more in depth, and then hopefully we'll get through um, the, the the different articles in the tabernacle, so you understand what they represent and how you can pray according to what it represents. The tabernacle is essential to our Christian living. The tabernacle is essential to your salvation, whether you know it or not. So in Hebrews chapter nine. Verse number two, we'll start in verse two and we'll read from verse two through five. Hebrews chapter nine, verse two. And we'll talk a little bit about the tabernacle that God had talked about to Moses way back in the Old Testament. And if you go back to the Old Testament, even in, in Exodus chapter 25, uh, chapter 25 through chapter 31 is just talking about the tabernacle. It's just talking about the, the plan of the tabernacle, how to construct the tabernacle. And so there's a lot of scripture that have been put towards the tabernacle. Sometimes people are reading about the tabernacle and they say, I got to skip over this because that's just too much talk about the tabernacle. But you know what? If God made such a big deal about the tabernacle, it must be a big deal. He made a big deal about it. And so Hebrews chapter 9, verse 2, it says this. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the shewbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, 
which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the table of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. So the New Testament here in Hebrews was just giving you a quick synopsis of what has been talked about and has been constructed in the Old Testament, the tabernacle. Let me give you some more details and get into it a little bit about the tabernacle. The tabernacle was called the tent of meeting. The tabernacle was called the tent of meeting. You'll see why it was called a tent of meeting. It was a sacred tent. It was portable at the time and provisional sanctuary. So it was portable. It was movable. It was, it was kind of where you can, you can lay it out in a certain area of land. And when you're ready, you can put it up. You can take it all up and go to a certain area again and you can lay it out. So it was a movable tent that they was able to take with them. It was a tent where God met his people. The tabernacle was a tent where God met his people. Now, I like that because, you know, God can meet you anywhere. God can meet us anywhere. He's God. He, he, he encompasses everything. So why did he choose to meet us in the tabernacle? Not us, but our forefathers from way back then. He chose to meet them in the tabernacle. Moses called it the tent of meeting because it was the place of revelation. Somebody say revelation. revelation. There God met his people when the pillar of cloud descended to the door of the tent. It is the movable tent temple which Moses erected for the service of God. According to the pattern, that word pattern is key, according to the pattern which God himself showed to Moses on Mount Sinai. It is also called the tabernacle of the congregation. It is also called the tabernacle of the congregation. A particular account of the material which the people provided for the erection of the building itself is recorded in Exodus 25 through 40. The execution of the plan mysteriously given to Moses was entrusted to a man called Bezalel and another man called Aholiab, who were specifically endowed with wisdom and artistic skills, probably gained in Egypt for the purpose of building the tabernacle. So let me stop there for a second. Again, I like to tell you, whatever you are pretty good at outside of the kingdom of God, whatever you're pretty good at in just your everyday life, God has equipped you with that talent or that ability because you will be using that talent and ability for God if you surrender to God. Whatever that ability or abilities that you have, the talents you have, God gave it to you so you can be productive in his kingdom. So these two men, it, 
God gave Moses the tabernacle plan, but Moses didn't construct it or build it. He only gave the plan to Moses. So he gave the plan to Moses, and then Moses took it to these two men that knew how to erect it, to instruct it, to build it. And so God is not interested in one or two people doing everything. He's interested in everybody getting together and do what they're supposed to do according to the talents and ability that he gave. So we're all supposed to be participant. We're all supposed to be doing something for the Lord. Nobody should sit back watching the next person because there's something for everybody to do in God's kingdom. So those two men were given the ability to put it together. Okay. The people provided materials for the tabernacle so abundantly that Moses was under the necessity of restraining them. When God said he needed a tabernacle, Moses brought the plan to the people, the children of Israel, and told them what God had said about the tabernacle and what it would take to build a tabernacle. Once Moses told them that, there was no hesitation. They started bringing in the material to furnish that tabernacle. They started bringing in whatever the materials were that they needed to furnish that tabernacle. Okay, remember the tabernacle is the house of God where God meets his people. Internally, it was divided by a veil into two chambers, the exterior of which was called the holy place, also the sanctuary. So the exterior is, two, is, is divided in two parts inside the tabernacle. One part is called the holy place, or you can call it the sanctuary. Okay, and the, the first tabernacle and the interior, the holies of holy. The other area is, is the first tabernacle. It's called the holies of holy, the holiest place. The holiest place. The second tabernacle, okay? The veil separating these two chambers was a double curtain of the finest workmanship, which was never passed except by the high priest once per year on the great day of atonement. Your, sons could, your sins was only able to be forgiven when the high priest went beyond that veil. And he only went beyond that veil for one year, for once per year. So when the high priest went beyond that veil, that once per year, the light of Christ would shine upon him, which means God forgave the priests and the entire congregation all of their sins for a whole year. Whole year. So one time per year, they had to do it. And when God forgave the priests and the entire congregation, they were forgiven for a whole year. The holies of holy contained the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of Testimony. The oblong chest contained or containing the two tables of stone. Ten Commandments is the two tables of stone. So in the Ark of the Covenant... There was the Ten Commandments, which was two tables of stone, a pot of manna, pot of bread, and Aaron's rod that budded and started growing stuff on it. We will talk about what those three things represent that was inside the Ark of the Covenant and Ten Commandments, the pot of manna, and Aaron's rod that budded. The holy place, the sanctuary, was the larger chamber of the tabernacle here were the place where the table of showbread, the golden candlestick, and the golden altar of 
incense was. Round about the tabernacle was a court. Within it were placed the altar of burnt offering, or you may call it the brazen altar, and the laver of brass, which stood between the altar and the tabernacle. So we did our very best with what we had to show you tonight how we, you could picture the Ark of the Covenant. So picture the door that you came in. Some of you came in as the gate that brought you into the courtyard of the tabernacle. Then when you came in, the first thing you saw was the brazen was the was 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 the um the, the the brazen altar or altar of sacrifice. Then after that you came in, you saw the laver. It, it's a laver of water where water is there. Then as you come now to enter into the first court of the tabernacle, you will see um what they call the five pillars that was the doorway inside the first holy place. So you would come through that and enter into the holy place. Now that you get into the holy place, the first thing you will say, see, would be to the left, the table of showbread over here. And then after that, you will go to the other side and you will see what they call the lampstand uh, right here where it, it bear the, 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 the light for the tabernacle. And then... In the center of the holy place would be the altar of incense. And then once you were done representing those articles of furniture, then you will get inside where I'm standing, the holies of holy. So then you will be inside the holies of holy. We'll get to all of what all of that mean with God. But God established the tabernacle plan to save Israel. Here is what happened. When God revealed himself to Abraham, who he was, God started directing Abraham's steps and guiding him. And Abraham was following after God. And Abraham brought his family to follow after God and live for God. God moved among their family. He did great things among their family. But then you remember as time went on, the children of Israel, which was God's people, as he began to move among them, they started rebelling against God. They started living however they wanted to live. And that's when God decided, especially when Moses was up on Mount Sinai getting the laws from God, the children of Israel decided that while Moses was up there, they couldn't wait for him to come down. They decided to figure out a way, figure out a way how they can continue to you know, reach God, try to figure out a way how they need to continue to live. And so they build a golden calf that they worshiped. And so that was a no-no. The point is this. God wanted to move among his people as an entire people, as an entire body. But when people became rebellious and sinful, God says, I can't move among rebellious and sinful people. So because he couldn't move among rebellious and sinful people anymore, he decided, I know what I'll do to help you all. I'm going to ask my servant Moses to build a tabernacle. So therefore, in order for them to meet with me, they have to be clean, holy, and righteous if they want to fellowship and meet with me. Because I can no longer meet with them in the state that they're in. That's what he said back then. 
That's how the tabernacle came into existence. He was quite fine with just moving among the people, speaking to their heart, giving them direction, them worshiping him, praising him, and praying to him. He was fine with that. But so many of the people had decided that they wanted to live the way they wanted to live. And God is saying, you know, I can't mess with that. I find it strange that we don't really get this. I don't know because none of us are royal people, Daryl, but royal people keep themselves connected to royal people. They don't keep the family moved by getting somebody that's out of the family. Royalty keep royalty in the family. And so royalty people, they, they, they don't co-mingle with just anybody. You go and look at people status-wise. Depending on who you are, and sometimes we do it without even noticing it. Hollywood people mess with Hollywood people. Doctors with doctors. Whatever we really are, we try to stay within that, 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 that realm of what we understand. Those are the people that we tend to keep friends with. Whoever we are, whoever our, the people that's closest related to us, how we understand and how we live our lives, that's who we deal with. So there's something in us that says, look like and be like the people you feel comfortable with. And we normally, everybody that, you don't see people that are totally opposite and different hanging out. You just don't. And so it is with God. We want God to just accept us however we want to be. And God said, I can't do that. So that's where it started. That we decided, well, you God, still be God no matter what we do and no matter how we live. And God said, no, 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 no. I can't fellowship and I can't mingle with just ungodliness because I'm God. And so that's when he says, I need a tabernacle constructed so I can meet with my people, so I can commune with my people, so I can spend time with my people, because I can't just spend time with them while they're being rebellious and rejecting me and doing whatever they want. I have to put a tabernacle together where when they come into that place, they're clean, and me, them and I can have fellowship. That's where the tabernacle plan came into place. So... We can't think that God will just mingle with us and have fellowship with us any kind of way. And I think that's where we've gone wrong. And when we have trouble in our world, we're quick to say, how can God let these things happen? How can God let these things happen? When in actuality, we just didn't want to fellowship with God. Because if we want to fellowship with God, we will do what he says to do. But if we don't want to fellowship with him, then we do whatever we want. But understand this, we can't do whatever we want and expect God to do something for us in turn. It doesn't work that way. And that's kind of where our world is in flux and challenged because we constantly seek for God to do something when we need him. Why did God allow the planes to fall, to fly into the, in, in, into the Twin Towers? Why did God allow the shooting to take place in this area? Why did God allow this to happen and that to happen? And the bottom line is we were living the way we want to. And God says, you don't need me. You don't need me. And then when something happened, we want to blame God when we rejected him a long time ago. I don't want to live like that, God. I don't want to do that. God, I don't feel like praying. God, I don't want to read my Bible. All that stuff you're talking, God, I, I just don't feel like doing that. 
And that's kind of how we live our life. And then we look for God to come in and rescue us. And when he doesn't, then we talk about him. I can't believe God let this happen. Well, what kind of relationship you and God had for him to step in and stop that? And that's where we started going south because we wanted to do whatever we wanted and expect God to still help us. The tabernacle pattern was established back then for salvation of God's people and for him to meet with them. The only way one could be saved. We thought that, oh, just because you was a Jew back then you were saved. No. It's always been if you live right or you don't live right is how you get saved. And right only means according to God's word. It's, it was back then the way it was. Are you obedient to God's word? So there were Jews back then, remembered, the Bible talked about God opened up the earth and swallowed up some Jews. So don't think that God can say, you know, there's, there's religion that teach you that once you're saved, you always will be saved. That's not true. You have to live in obedience to God's word, and that's how you get saved. So there were people that were Jewish that were supposed to be saved that weren't saved because they disobeyed the word of God. So the tabernacle was, ex- was established for us to be saved and for us to have fellowship and communion with God. Listen, we can't stay saved if we don't have fellowship and communion with God. So getting saved is one thing, but staying saved is another thing. The only way we can stay saved is by having constant communion with God. Because if we don't have constant communion with God, we're going to desire other things that's opposite of what God has for us. That's why the tabernacle plan was established and it hasn't changed today. It's just that now we're seeing it open up. But if God hasn't changed his ways, what the Bible says, I am God and I change not. Same yesterday, today, and forever. So he's not changing anything on us. It's just us getting a glimpse now of how God does things. So the tabernacle was established for their salvation back then and for them to have fellowship with him. Today, still today, the tabernacle is for us to receive salvation and for us to have fellowship with him. It's the same thing today. When there is no plan or vision, people will begin to do their own thing and create their own plan. When there is no plan or vision, people will begin to do their own thing and create their own plan. And so, first let's go with this. When we decide to reject God's plan and God's vision, we're going to do whatever that comes to our mind, however we feel. So God's plan and vision is there. But if we decide, mm by default, you're living how you want to live and you're going to be all over the place. And how you're going to live is not going to be pleasing to God. It will be pleasing to you, but it won't be pleasing to God. And so while you may be pleasing yourself, you're not pleasing God. And so what happens is what has happened to our world. We rejected God's plan and vision for our life and now we're living the way we want to live but somehow we still want God to help us out I don't know how that work I don't know how that work 
You know, it, it's like this is not the same thing, but can I give you just a little uh, explanation of what it could be like? It's like your children living at home and you're telling them, you got to do this, you got to do that, got to do this, got to do that. And they're like, man, I don't want to do all that, mom. I don't want to do all that, dad. And then they leave. And when they leave, they call you up every day. I need to borrow some money. Can you help me out with this? Can you help me out with that? And you're scratching your head like, hold on. When you lived here, I had everything for you. You ate, you drank, you showered, you did whatever you want. You watched TV, everything you wanted to do, you did when you were here. And now you left and you want me to help you out still. That's not making sense to me. That's not making sense to me. And, and, and that's the best explanation I probably can give what we're doing to God. I don't want to be in your house. Because I don't like your rules. But can you help me out anyway? I, I think that's what we're doing to God. I don't like your setup, dude. Because you just, uh-uh. I just want to do my own thing. But I still need your help anyway. And, and that's not going to, we're not going to get no help from God living like that. And so it's important to realize that the tabernacle plan was established by God to save us and to give us fellowship with him. In a private way, because how it used to be where he just moved among his people and spoke to his people, we rejected that. We were just sinning in his presence. We were just doing whatever we want, disrespecting him, if you will, the way how it was. And so now he says, now we're going to have to bring this thing into a private area so we can have communion, so we can have fellowship. Does that sound familiar? That was way back then, over 6,000 years ago or over 4,000 years ago, I'm talking about. And, and does it sound familiar today that it's kind of like the same thing? He's not moving in our world like they want to. He's moving into his people's life, but he's not moving in our world. That's why our world is messed up. That's why our world is filthy. That's why things are happening in our world, because he's not moving in the world. He's moving in the life of his people. As long as God's people that obey him and live for him is in the earth, he will move on his people. He will do things for his people. He will protect his people. He will provide for his people. But the world in general, they're not getting his provision. It wouldn't make sense for him to still give everybody's provision when he said, I need a tabernacle established. I need a place for me and my people to meet. I need a place for me and my people to fellowship. I need a place where I can get my people saved. If, if, if that's the plan, then there's no way he's still moving on everybody in the earth. He's just not doing that. And so that's where we're getting it. We're, we're, we're mistaken thinking, well, God is moving. Moving where? He's moving in the lives of his people. He's moving on behalf of his people. But he's not moving in the world. Because that wouldn't make sense. It it wouldn't make sense because he would be going back on his word. The world is not obeying him. Why should he move on their behalf? Why should they receive his favor? The only thing the world gets from God right now is his grace. The only thing the world gets from God is his grace. What does that mean? He's saying, I'm still giving you some more time to come to me. 
You could have been dead, but I'm giving you some time to come to me. That's what I'm giving you is grace, but I'm not blessing you. So when people are not living for God and they said, well, God is blessing me, don't even hurt their feelings and say anything. They're not getting blessed by God. We don't realize that the devil will put stuff in your life to make you feel like it's God when he really tricked you and it's, and it's him that's putting stuff in your life to make you think you're being blessed so you won't serve God. Because if you, where you are, if the devil can get you to stay there, oh yes, he's going to keep putting stuff in your life and make you think you're doing all right when you're not doing all right. That's, that, that's what the devil does. So, so many people is thinking, well, you know, I ain't never want for nothing. Always got a nice car, you know, my mortgage is always paid, and they figure, God is blessing me. And I'll tell you, you just working hard and taking care of your business. That's the first thing I'll tell you. You just doing what you're supposed to do. If you went to college and got a degree and you're getting paid good, you just happen to have done what you're supposed to do is why you're living good. And for others, he slip a couple things in your life, the devil slip a couple things in your life, so you would say, Hey, you know what? It ain't half bad. Mm-hmm. And so we stay stuck in that lifestyle thinking God is blessing us. That's what the devil wants. The devil know he will not be spending eternity in the presence of the Lord, and he wants you to be just like him. So whichever way he can deceive you and make you think that you're good when you're not, oh, man, he'll always do that, make you think you're okay when you're not. What do I always tell you? God will never tell you, oh, daughter, oh, son, you're doing too much. Slow down. That's just too much. None of us tell our kids when they're getting super good. I don't know if we ever have any kids like that, but if you happen to have your kid, they, you catch them on a good day, and they just overdoing it. And they just overdoing it. They, they, you know, you told them to wash the dishes, and they wash the dishes, and they mop the kitchen floor, and their room was top notch, and they say, Mommy, is there anything else I can get for you? Oh, man. Well, I don't know how often that happens, but I know you don't say, honey, don't, no, don't do that. No, you're like, man, that's my baby. Look at her. Well, it's the same thing with God. You think God going to say, oh, you're just praying too much. Oh, you just, oh, you just loving me too much. Oh, you read your Bible too much. You think God's going to say that? No, he won't. No, he won't. So do extra if you're not sure. But don't do the minimal because we don't know what it takes to get to heaven because we, we, we haven't got there yet. <laughs> we haven't gotten to heaven yet, so we don't know what it takes to get there. So let's not get too crazy. So we have the tabernacle plan laid out. And so we're going to get into the tabernacle plan. Let me, let me first tell you uh, how it gives us salvation, how it gives us salvation. Nobody, all of our lives, once we realize who God is and we're trying to get to heaven, that's what we're living to do to get to heaven. We're supposed to be in relationship with God first and eventually get to heaven. And so the tabernacle plan was established to first get us to heaven, but during our process of getting to heaven, we should be in fellowship with him. So. Let's look at how he gets us to heaven real quick. The first thing is, when we're trying to get to heaven, when we're trying to get a relationship with God, the first thing we must realize is, the life that we're living, God is not pleased with it. I don't know who thinks that they're pleasing God, but I'm telling you, 
if you're going to try to get to heaven, the first thing you have to acknowledge is the life that I'm living is not going to get me to heaven. It's not pleasing God. And so how do I change from the life that I'm living to change to the life that he wants me to live? We're seeking after salvation. And so what we first must do is die to ourself. The first thing for salvation is you have to die to who you used to be. The Bible says in John that we must be born again of the water and of the spirit in order to enter into the kingdom of God. So just like how you're born in the natural, you have to be born in the spiritual in order to enter into the kingdom of God. So in order to enter into the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And the only way you can be born again is you're going to have to die to your old, to your new, to yourself now, and you got to be reborn. Okay? So how do one die to themselves? How do you die to yourself? Repentance is how you die to yourself. We talked about this Saturday, I mean Sunday, that godly sorrow work at repentance. What is godly sorrow? It's, it, it's feeling sorrow because you know you have failed God. It's feeling sorrow because you know you have disobeyed God. And so when you feel that godly sorrow for knowing you have disobeyed God and you have failed God, that's when you say, God, I know I've failed you. I know I've disappointed you. I know I haven't lived right to please you. And so I want to die to that self there that is not right, that is disobeying you, that is not living right. I want to die to that person and begin to become a new person that you wanted me to be from the beginning. So repentance is dying to yourself. The way how you are, you can't get to heaven. It's the way how God wants you to be that you will get to heaven. So repentance, that's, that's how you're going to get to heaven. The first thing is you have to repent. The second thing you have to do is to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so you can wash off every ungodliness and everything that's dirty that's on you. Tabernacle plan. You didn't even know that was the tabernacle plan, did you? It's not until you repent of your sins. It's not until you get baptized in Jesus' name. And then before you can enter in to the holy place, you have to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Through your praise, through your worship, thanksgiving, God will fill you with his spirit. Then you get into the holy place. Now you're learning how to live for God. And while you're in the holy place, you must feast on his word each and every day. You must feast on his word each and every day. You must allow him to guide you every day. And you must continue to pray for yourself and for others every day. It's the salvation plan. So the tabernacle gives you the salvation plan if you follow it. Now, 
Just say that we've all been born again. So if you if if you needed to be born again, you have to get born again. But just now say we're all born again. And now I'm going to talk about how we need to pray each and every day to keep our fellowship going with God. Because that's what prayer is. It's your fellowship, your communion with God each and every day. And I'm going to tell you this. Every person here tonight. Under the sound of my voice, you need to incorporate this tabernacle prayer plan in your life, and you're going to see your life change when you incorporate it. Your life will change. I don't have the answers to how it will all work, but what I will tell you is this is something God has put in my soul to say, teach it to the church, and their life will be changed. If they follow the plan, their life will be changed. Because it's communion with God consistently. It's communication with God consistently. The inline prayer plan to get to the throne of God. The tabernacle prayer plan is set up that once you're completely done praying, you would have entered into the throne of God and have commune with him that day. Every day you will be able to commune with God in the presence of Almighty. You will be in communion with him if you follow this plan. A lot of times we pray, but we just pray and say some words and we talk a little bit and we don't even wait for God to talk back to us. That does not take us into the presence of God and that's not how we will be sustained in living for God, in communion with God. That's not how we will be. This tabernacle prayer plan will get us into the presence of God every day we pray. So let's broach how we get into the presence of God. This prayer is going to get us into the presence of God. So let's look at how we get into the presence of God. The very first piece of furniture you see, it's in the courtyard. So the tabernacle is in a courtyard. There's a yard all around it, and then there's a tabernacle. So let's look at what's in the yard before we get inside the building of the tabernacle. The very first thing you will see is the gate to get into the yard. There's a gate to get into the yard. And so the scripture says, enter his gates with what? And into his courts with praise. Thanksgiving and praise is how you get through that gate. So when you're going to start praying, your prayer should start like this. Lord, I thank you today for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, I thank you for being my God. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you because you're so wonderful and so great. I thank you for you've kept me. I thank you for the breath of life. I thank you for salvation. And you can go ahead and thank him. 
And after you're done thanking him, you should get into, Lord, I praise you. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus, you are God. Jesus, I magnify your name. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Father, I love you. I praise you. There is none like you. That's how we get through that gate. It's thanksgiving and praise that get us into the gate. You already getting stirred up. You're working your way to get into his presence. I don't know who don't have thanks and praise to give God when they wake up in the morning. I don't know about you, but every morning I open my eyes. I know I need to give him thanks and I know I'm supposed to praise him. So that part should come natural to us. But it's how you start praying. You should never start praying without thanks given and praise you ever hear me pray you always realize i'm always thanking i'm always praying i'm always thanking and always praising before i get into any kind of prayer because i'm trying to get into his presence remember i told you a long time ago sometime I, you might say man he prayed long and you want to know why i pray long because i'm trying to get into his presence look at me i didn't even really i, I didn't i, I I practiced the tabernacle prayer plan even when I wasn't even paying attention. Because I don't want to pray just to say words. I'm praying so I can feel connection with him. I'm praying so I can feel his presence in my life. I'm not just saying words. I'm not just talking. When I pray, if I walk away without sensing the presence of God, I didn't feel like I prayed. I'm just being honest. I prayed some days, and I didn't feel his presence, and I walk away kind of grumbling in my mind like, oh, Lord, I know I said what I was supposed to say, but I didn't feel you. What did I do wrong? Because I need to feel him when I pray. You know, sometimes, I, sometimes as soon as I start, I feel him, so I'm like, okay, okay. But we need to start prayer with thanking God and praising God. That's how we get from outside into the courtyard. Can't get into the courtyard. So so if we just start praying and there was no thanksgiving and there were no praise, you already off track and you might never enter. You will probably never get into his presence. Praise and thanksgiving, Joe, get you inside the yard, just the yard. And so the first thing you see when you get inside the yard is the brazen altar or they call it the altar of sacrifice. This is the altar where you'd kill your flesh. This is the place where you kill. That's where they sacrifice animals. The altar of sacrifice whereas, was where they brought the animals to sacrifice them. So now long, no longer is the animal, it's you. The Bible says in, in, in uh, Romans chapter 12, present your bodies living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So when we walk into the courtyard, in order for us to be right with God, we have to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And God don't want anything messed up. God don't want anything defiled. He wants purity. And how can you get it pure? By climbing up on that altar and says, God, I put myself on this altar altar today and I you don't want to do that no more it just sounds dirty and terrible Lord I just lusted get this out of me it sounds bad but when you call it out 
you're able to deal with it. You're able to now, you, you placed it before God. You didn't hold on to anything. When Lucifer go to accuse you before God, God says, what are you talking about? They repented of that already. That's under my blood. I don't have to worry about that. But when you hold on to your sin, Lucifer takes it to God and says, don't you see them doing that? You know they ain't right and they ain't repent about that. Satan knows everything about you. And so whatever you are doing wrong, he goes to God and accuses you about it. And the only way God can respond to him is when you repent and God can say, the blood has covered him. Didn't you hear him? Didn't you hear her? When they call upon my name and ask for forgiveness, I've forgiven them. But you got to call it out. You can't be trying to hide it. Because Lucifer know what it is and God knows what it is. And Lucifer is trying to destroy you and you don't want him to have nothing on you. But pride and rebellion, iniquities, is the two worst sins you can have in your life. They will destroy you. Just think about that. Pride means that you think you're something that you're not. You think you're better than everybody else. And then here's the other thing. You're deceived because you think you're something that you're not. And rebellion just means you're disobedient to God. I ain't doing that, God. I know we don't I know we don't make it sound like that, but when we just blatantly just disregard God, it's rebellion. When we blatantly just I'm just gonna live how I feel. Listen, I can't say enough of this. We can't live for God how we feel. One of the biggest things that I think in my own little time with God that I get a little concerned with is for some reason, somebody going to think that, I don't know, that they think that, <laughs> for some reason, you know, when you are submitted and obedient to God's will, somehow people tend to act like, you know what, that's just you. You can do that. I can't do that. That's one of the things that's challenged me the most when I'm trying to do my best, Sister Hadia. I'm surrendering. People think that, oh, it's easy for me. It's not easy. It's no different for you or me or the next person to surrender our life to God and says, I'm not going to live according to my way. I'm going to live according to the will of God. And people see that and they think some kind of way you got some extra powers or you're favored a little bit differently. Oh, no, I'm putting in the work. I don't like it, but I'm doing the best that I can. When when we need to fast. We think everybody's shouting, yeah, let's fast. No, no, our body don't want us to fast. No, we don't want to fast. But guess what? I am trying my best to obey God and disregard myself. And we can't take it for granted and look around and just think that, well, you can do it, but I just can't get it done. Oh, folks, I got to tell you, we need to make sure we do everything we can when we turn our life over to God to say, not my will, but thine will be done. When God came here on earth in flesh as a man, he said the same thing, not my I will, not what the flesh want, but what the Father in heaven wants. 
Some kind of way we have to get that together and don't fake the funk on that in thinking that, oh, some, you know, God understands. What does God understand when he came down to this earth and he was just like me and you? It was hard for him. Remember when he went in the garden and he was praying, he didn't want to go to the cross. It was hard for him. So somehow, though, we think that it's a little easier for some than others. No, it's not. Don't take nobody for granted when they're pushing hard, when they're doing everything they can, when they're sacrificing as much as they can to please God. And because you're not, you're going to talk about them. That's not fair and that's not right. They're doing what they're supposed to. Not because you can't get it together. You just need to dig deep and pray and say, God, I know I'm not doing right. I know I got to get it together. I need the strength from you to, to, to just discipline myself to obey you and not me. But. All right, here we go. That will happen. When you desperately want to have a relationship with God. Because that's what it really comes down to at the end of the day. How badly do you want a relationship with God? And so in order to enter into the court. In order to enter in to the courtyard, we have to enter in with thanksgiving and praise. And then after that, we got to climb upon that altar of sacrifice and repent. Ask God to forgive us of our sins. relationship with God, then how is God going to have a relationship with us while we're around heathenistic people that's just doing wrong? God is not about to have relationship with people that are disobedient and rebellion to him. Does he love them? Yes, he loves them. He's trying to reach them, but he can't have relationship with them until they decide they're going to be obedient to him. It's not easy. The only reason why it's not easy, though, is because we spend a lot of time living away from God. We spend a lot of time living how we want to live. And now when we come to the knowledge of the truth of what God is requiring of us, then now it becomes a struggle and a challenge because we've lived a certain way for a long time. And now what God is requiring of us, we're saying, man, that's hard. But if we would have just... If someone could have taught us from the very beginning who Jesus is and what we were supposed to do, then we would be fine in where we are today. But boy, I tell you, once you start living the way how you want to live and now you have to face the fact that that's not how Jesus wants you to live, it becomes a challenge. And so you get into the tabernacle. First thing to get into the presence of God. To get into the courtyard, thanksgiving, and praise. In order to get into the holy place, 
the first thing we have to do is repent from all of our ungodly ways. And remember what I said. Make sure pride and iniquity make the list of repentance. Make sure you make sure pride and iniquity make that list. Make sure pride and iniquity make the list because we don't always know what's in us. This is why when you climb up on that altar, you say, God, burn out of me all of the guilt and the lying and the stealing and the deception and the lusting and the backbiting and the gossip and how I treated my brother wrong and how I treated my sister wrong and how I talked to them, how I cursed at them, the attitude that I gave them. Lord, burn that stuff out of me because I want to be in your presence and I know I can't be in your presence if I'm filthy and I'm messed up with all kind of sin. And so I ask you to burn it out of me so I can have real fellowship with you. That's repentance. We've been playing with repentance for a long time. Oh, just ask God to forgive you for your sin and he'll forgive you. No, that's, that's just talking. If we really repent, it will take us a long time to mess up and sin again. If we really repent and ask forgiveness, the effort that it took to bring it before God and say it out loud and how to confess it and all that stuff, if we really repented, boy, it'll take a long time, boy, before we go back down that road again. Because you're going to remember, it was just so hard going before God trying to get it right. I don't want to go down that road again. The second thing, as we're working our way into the presence of God, so we stopped at the altar of sacrifice, okay? And we repented and asked God to burn everything out of us. Then we get to the laver where you see that bowl over there. That's the laver. That's, that's filled with water. So check this out. When God burned things out of you, ashes is now there because we wanted to burn it to ashes. So when you ask God to burn up in you this and burn up in you that and burn up in you that, guess what? A, he burns it up and it turns into ashes. So it's burnt up and no longer effective in your life, but it's still sticking to you. It, 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 you're still dirty. So, so it, it's burnt up and it's no longer part of your life, but you're still dirty. So that's why you need a word to wash you. <laughs> this is why we says, Lord, wash my heart in your word. Wash my mind in your word. Because now you're asking that now that he has burned out the sins that you've confessed to him, now that you've asked for forgiveness of the sins that you've confessed to him, now you're saying, cleanse me, wash me, make me clean so I can have fellowship with you, so I can enter into your presence. Let me give you some way how to pray that prayer. The place of washing is located in the courtyard. Symbolism to baptism and cleansing. Sanctification through the word of God. So what you want to say to God is, sanctify me through your word, Lord. Mm. Your word is truth. 
Listen to what it says in Psalms 19 and 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statues of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. When you begin to ask God to wash you with his word, pick up the Bible. Listen, it's okay to pray and read your Bible because it's the word. So you pick up your Bible and you begin to read it. Let me tell you what you can do. Go to the the, the Beatitudes and begin to read. What is that? Matthew 5? Go to Matthew 5 and start in verse 3. And start reading those scriptures when you're asking God to wash your heart in his word. You can just stand up and just start walking. And says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see the Lord. Read the word, because as you read the word, you're cleansing yourself. You're sanctifying your mind. You're sanctifying your soul. You're setting yourself free from all the entanglements of the flesh. That's how... You work towards getting into the presence of God. Remember what I said. If you follow this tabernacle plan, when you're done praying, you will have entered into the presence of God. You will be consumed. You will know I am in his presence because you have done all that he required of you to get into his presence. He can't fellowship with unclean people. He loves unclean people, but he can't fellowship with them. That's why he established the tabernacle. That's why he established the church. In case y'all missed that earlier when I was teaching, you wonder, why did God establish the church? Because he can't fellowship with unclean people. God's desire is to fellowship with every last one of us. He wants to have a real relationship with every last one of us. But if we're living the way we want to, he cannot have fellowship with us. That's just the way it is. He's looking, saying, I want fellowship. I want fellowship. We talked about a prodigal son yesterday just for a moment. And the prodigal son, his daddy was waiting for him to come home. But the prodigal son, what we don't realize is when the Bible said he came to himself, it meant he repented. Anytime you repent, God is like this, man. Are you kidding me? You know how long I've been waiting to have fellowship with you? You know how long I've been wanting me and you to just sup and to talk and to just have communion? You know how long I wanted that from me and you? But I can't go against my words. See, the word of God is already established. So God can't break his own law. He can't break his own word. The Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So he can't break himself to make sure you okay. You're going to have to break you to get to him. That's how it works. He's not going to be broken because he's holy and righteous. He is who he is. He can't change. But what he is is righteous and holy. And in order for us to come into his presence and have fellowship, we got to become holy and righteous. We can't fool ourselves. We can't fool ourselves. We're going to be good Christians in this church. We're not going to fool ourselves. We got to deal with truth and just listen. The good news in this church, I'm not going to make you feel bad when you're not doing right, but I'm going to tell you how to do right. 
I'm not here to make you feel bad when you're not doing right, but I'm here to tell you how you can do right. I'm here to tell you how you can get to God, how you can have fellowship with him, how you can maintain a relationship with him. That's what I'm here to tell you. I don't want nobody to ever feel bad in this church. That's between you and Jesus. If, if he wants to convict your heart, he will convict your heart. I'm here to love you and preach his word to you to give you clear direction so you know what you need to do. One thing you won't be able to say is that you didn't understand or you didn't know because I'm going to spend a whole lot of time helping you to know and to understand. If you didn't do it, it's because you didn't want to do it. Yeah, I'm not here to make nobody feel bad. I'm here to help you. I'm here for, I'm, I'm help. I'm help, not to make you feel bad. And so... We ask for the word to wash us. The word of God will judge us, so we better allow the word of God to wash us. And so when we go to God and we ask him to wash us in his word, wash my heart in your word, let the word of God go into your mind. It's how, what we said, the word of God is called the sword. The word of God is a sword. When the Bible tells us put on the whole armor of God, everything that we put on, is defensive armor. We only have one offensive armor, the weapon, the sword, the word of God. It's the only one that's offensive. Everything else, you know, keeps you all together so, you know, you don't get destroyed. But that sword, the word of God, is what you wield to take care, to defend off yourself, and to do something to somebody. They come at you, the devil, you know. So so we need to know that word. And we can't just 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 uh, pull it out of the sky. We need to quote it because guess what? Satan said, had God said. That's what he said to Eve, had God said. So you got to learn the word. You can't just, you know, kind of figure it out. I think it says, no, 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 know what it says so the devil can't trip you up. Know what it says. Learn the word of God so you know what the word of God says. The last thing I'm going to say about this and then next week we'll finish up with the tabernacle plan is how you enter in to the actual tabernacle remember all what i just talked about was outside in the yard now when you came right here when you come right here these are the pillars five pillars that have space between them and in order to enter into the holy place you'd have to get through them But each pillar represents something about God. And so when you're going through, it represents God's very nature. Isaiah 9 and 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. They represent something. So in order to get into the holy place, you're going to have to deal with each one of those to say, God, you are so wonderful. Here we go again. This is how you're praying. God, you are so wonderful. Nobody can ever be called wonderful but you. You are the wonderful God. And then you go to the next one, which is counseling. You say, God, I need your counsel. Will you counsel me? I don't know what is before me. I don't know what I can do about certain things but can you counsel me will you counsel my children will you counsel my pastor will you counsel the saints of god will you counsel my family you are the only true counselor will you counsel us 
That's what we pray when we get there. He is the counselor. Counsel me. And then I say, God, show yourself mighty because he's the mighty God. Show yourself mighty in my midst because, God, I, I need your mighty hand to work in my life. I need the mighty power of God demonstrated in my life. God, show yourself mighty in my home. Show yourself mighty in my life. Show yourself mighty in my children's life. Show yourself mighty in our church. Show yourself mighty in our city. God, you are the mighty God. Show yourself mighty. That's what you're praying when you get there. And then you say, God, you are our father. You are the father of all fathers. And I say, God, father me because I need some fathering. And in order for me to be a good father to my children, father me. Teach me how to be a good father. I said, God, teach me how to father my children, the natural ones and the spiritual ones. If I got children through being a witness and leading them to God, they're my spiritual children. Then I say, God, teach me how to father them. God, teach me how to father my natural children. God, teach us all how to father our children. For you are the Father of the fatherless. Teach us how to be good fathers. That's prayer, man. How, how much time we got? We don't even know what time it is now. This is why we got to wake up and pray in the morning because now we don't even know what time it is. We wondered how much stuff that I'm going to pray. Oh, you can pray a lot of stuff if you follow the tabernacle plan. This plan, if we pray, it's going to wake us up. It's going to get us in a real relationship with God. It's going to make us powerhouses that when we live for God, we won't have to be up and down. We will be powerhouses because we're going to pray like that. And God's going to work in our life that wherever we go, we're going to take what God said we can take. Powerhouses when we pray that prayer. And then he says, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. God, let your peace just be upon me. Let your peace be upon my marriage. Let your peace be upon my children. Let your peace be in our church. Let your peace be in our community. Let your peace, Lord God, be in the lives of my family members. We need the peace because you are the Prince of Peace. Will your peace rest upon us that we will experience peace in our city, experience peace in our community, experience peace in our life. When you pray that now, you go in peace. That's it. This is what God is calling us to. God is calling us to pray. This prayer will change our life. It's, it's, I started, I'm telling you, God just, just, just directed me and said, that's it right there. It's going to change you and it's going to change your church. And it's going to change everybody that will, that will sincerely begin to pray this prayer because it's the prayer that God has established to take us from wherever we are into his presence. And that's all God wanted from the beginning is to have fellowship with us, is to have us in his presence. He could care less about all this stuff. Blessing don't matter to God because he will bless you no matter what. He just wants your face. He just wants you to be in his face. He just wants communion with you. He just wants fellowship with you. That's what God wants. He don't care about the other stuff. If you want it, that's fine. But make sure your relationship, your communion with him is what he wants the most. That will take us into his presence. And we will have a real relationship with God. And then we will be able to withstand the times that we're going through. We're not withstanding the times we're going through because we don't take the time out to fellowship with God. 
I know you want to fellowship with God. I know, I know all of us want to. But it's tough when we just kind of just go with the flow and life get us going in one way. The time it takes to spend with God, we don't put that time in anymore. But God has told me, he has pushed me and tell me to tell y'all, draw back to him and get closer to him. Let this prayer bring you back close to him. Let this prayer be the thing that gets you into communion. You cannot afford to go out in this world without allowing this prayer to work in your life. Father, in the name of Jesus, somebody just take the time out to talk to the Lord. We're going to close right here. Huh? Lord, help us tonight. We feel your presence. Can you imagine when we sit in our home, kneel on our faces, Lord God, lay out before you, stand before you, and begin to pray these prayers of faith, Lord God. You're going to come in. You're going to bust in on us, and we can have communion and fellowship with you. That, God, we can live the way that will please you. That we can be the vessels and instruments that you can work through. That, God, we can be a blessing to our community. That we can show forth the praises of God in our life that people will know the truth for the truth will make us free uh, God tonight I pray that what we spoke about uh, it will resonate it will take root Lord God it will begin to move and stir even as it is now uh, that God no person in this place under the sound of my voice uh, will be almighty God driven and tossed by the wind uh, but God they will be anchored in you and from this moment on uh, they will never be the same again uh, they're going to walk right they're going to talk right they're going to live right uh, they're going to stand on your word and your promises. Oh, oh, God, I pray that you will use us tonight to bring honor and glory to the name of our Lord. That, God, we will reach the loss at any cost for the purpose of the kingdom. Have your way tonight, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Help us tonight to be all that you want us to be, Lord God. Help us, Lord God. Give us the strength. Give us the energy that we will wake up out of our bed with strength, with energy. And even when we can't find the strength and the energy. Uh, we will push forth. Uh, we will push forward uh, to say, God, uh, I want to do right uh, and I will praise you. I will worship you. Uh, I will thank you this day uh, for God, I want to enter into your gates. Uh, I want to enter into your courts. Uh, I want to go into the holy place uh, and I want to enter into the holies of holy. Jesus of Nazareth, we thank you tonight. Uh, bless your people, Lord, and as we go, let your hand be upon us. Uh, we thank and praise you and honor you tonight and we ask you all of these things in the mighty name ah we love you jesus we love you lord bless the lord oh my soul and all that's within me bless your holy name Oh, we love you, Lord. 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 Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness.